This is Nathaniel Cogley. And this is Eric Morrow. Welcome to this week's edition of Cogley and Morrow on Politics. So here on the Tarleton campus, we have been uh, celebrating the inauguration of our 16th president, Dr. James Hurley, who we had on the show uh, in January. Uh, talked to him about his uh, background and, and, and really focused on uh, his experience and understanding of economics, looking at it nationally and so on. And and I, I was thinking today that uh, we're going to get to the coronavirus and the impact <laughs> later in the show. We might want to have him back yeah, uh, because there there is a, there is an economic impact there that I think uh, people need to kind of be aware of and be looking at on multiple levels. Uh, but that we're going to get to that later in the show today because uh, this is having such a significant uh, impact globally in so many ways. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to move into uh, preparing ourselves for what we call a Super Tuesday. And that is this, this primary uh, that includes many states, in fact, really gives us the first glimpse across so many geographic and demographic groups uh, to help us see what is going to happen in the, in the direction ahead, what candidates will stay in uh, for the primary. So we're glad you're joining us today. Uh, we're glad that uh, you could uh, talk to, uh, listen to us a little bit here, too, especially knowing that, uh, as we did last week, we're, we're recording this show before the <laughs> South Carolina primary. So we're not uh, exactly sure what's going to happen, but the, the poll numbers are staying somewhat steady in terms of the top contenders for that. Uh, looking at Joe Biden having, a, 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 I think, a double-digit lead still in that primary race, uh, and then preparing ourselves for what we may see coming out of Super Tuesday. And Saturday's an unusual day to hold the primary, but that's what South Carolina's doing. So you have to wait till Saturday night to get those results. This is going live Sunday at noon. But we're assuming Biden's going to do well there. He's definitely going to be above the 15% threshold. He's going to have delegates, and he'll be a part of this mix come Super Tuesday. I'm not so sure uh, Tom Steyer will be. He's really invested a lot in South Carolina, a record ad by 14 million, 97 staffers, uh, putting a lot of money, doing well, double digits in the polls. But I don't know what his plan is after South Carolina. Right. And of course, we're coming out of another debate uh, that we had earlier this week where the Democratic candidates uh toned it down a little bit i wouldn't say as as much i mean the 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 veracity of the attacks on uh, on uh, michael bloomberg in that first debate uh, some of that was still there but i think uh, a lot of it was uh, the attempts to position themselves going into this primary into Super Tuesday, knowing that this is really going to answer a lot of questions about who's going to continue. Well, I just thought some some observations on that debate, which I did watch, uh, didn't take notes, but I watched the whole mm-hmm. thing and processed it. One, uh, Sanders came under attack a lot more. A lot of people realize maybe Bloomberg's not the number one threat here. Sanders is kind of running away with this. Uh, so he was... Uh, the number one attention. But also I thought Bloomberg really handled Elizabeth Warren's attacks this time very effectively where he didn't, uh, he wasn't as effective in that first debate with these. She put him on the spot in that first debate. He appeared with these, are you going to sign non-disclosure agreements, release these employees of yours to talk? And Bloomberg had said, you know, he's not a, he's a businessman. He's not going to be pressured on stage to release people from non-disclosure agreements. So he had said no. Over the six days from the first debate to the second debate, Eric, he actually gave it some thought and decided to release some of his employees from non-disclosure agreements. And so when Elizabeth Warren came at him with, you know, non-disclosure agreements, he said, look, I, 
I heard you, I responded, I've decided to release some. Anyone who wants to be released, give us a call, we'll be happy to do the release. Why are you still focused on this? I adjusted, I gave it thought. And I think he, he kinda made her look a little little small for focusing on that when he's actually taking steps to address what she was concerned about. Right, and he, he, he had much a much better performance in that way. He, he was much, seemed more prepared to respond yeah. to those things. He also was uh, much stronger in his, it seemed like in his confidence in terms of his delivery. Yeah. And that, that was something he did struggle with in that first debate. I'm not sure exactly how much that helped him because you have to look at that against viewing audience over against the, the, the ad buys that he's running on social media and in, in other states. But, uh, but especially uh, in the, uh, uh, hit, the, the fact that he wasn't running uh, in that state right, and right. He's, he's not running in South Carolina and right. so really the first test of Bloomberg strategy is going to be next week well right and it's interesting we teach this when we teach like a federal government class um, the importance of the early states as momentum builders how they get all these attention they, they have this outweighed influence on the process and it's so interesting to see someone with 60 billion dollars come in and say I'm going to run in the other 46 states. Right. <laughs> so yes. it's like a 46-state <laughs> strategy. And right. he's going all out. The ads are airing in, in all these states. Uh, certainly these 14 Super Tuesday states we're going to get into. But he's running. He's already set the record in Pennsylvania, which is until April 28th. I mean, it's a 46-state strategy. It's unique. We haven't seen it before, but we haven't seen this kind of money show up before with a credible resume attached to it. And it's going to be very interesting, but he's left those first four states for others to get momentum. So again, it's still going to be a crowded field coming into Super Tuesday here. Well, uh, I will have to say, and this is a little on the lighter side in terms of the polling, uh, that, that it is having an impact because uh, uh, I surveyed seven-year-olds in my household, <laughs> uh, which is only one. Uh, but, you know, here the other day he's running around the house saying, uh, I'm Mike uh, Boomerang and I'm going to win, uh, I'm going to beat Donald Trump. And so uh, d- that just makes you stop and think, though, that, that if kids are seeing this and picking up on it, yeah. uh, there there's a, there's a tremendous amount of resources going into this and trying to impact uh, outcome and and what impact that will be, I think Super Tuesday will tell us and kind of show us maybe a little bit of what the path is to the convention. Yeah, and I check out uh, different YouTube videos of politicians speaking, and I get a Bloomberg ad before the video. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, and they're good ads. I mean, it's a good ad campaign. It's an effective right. ad campaign, and of course, there's things that people might criticize in his experience, but these are nice campaign ads that come along with a credible resume. So very interesting. So I think we're going to get into Super Tuesday here. And we've decided there's 14, well, we didn't decide 14 states. There's 14 states. We've decided to go through these by delegate count, the importance of it. These 14 states represent about a third of the delegates, over 1,300 de- uh, pledged delegates to the, com- to the convention. That's a lot of delegates to have all of them a third. And part of that is because we have not only 14 states, but we have the two most populated states in the mix. So number one, not to disrespect the great state of Texas, which we live in and we love, but California is number one here in terms of delegates to this convention, and they have 416 delegates to this convention. Um, And so California is up first, Eric. When we look at this state, uh, a number of things. It's got a mixed primary system. So we talk about open primary states where even someone who's an independent or a different party can still request the ballot of that party. And then we have closed primary states where you have to be a member of the party to vote. California's mixed, 
well, what does mixed mean, right? That's kind of vague. So basically from a uh, California court ruling, they said open primaries violate the party's right to association. And so in California, an independent voter, if, if you're registered in a party, you have to vote in that party. Uh, but if you're an independent voter, you can request a ballot of one of the parties and it's up to the party to decide if they're going to count it or not. So the current state of affairs, if you're a Republican in California, there are some of them, ladies and gentlemen, uh, they're, they're, they have to vote in the Republican primary. They cannot vote in this interesting Democratic primary on Super Tuesday. But if you're an independent, you can request that Democratic ballot. And the Democratic Party has announced that they will count it. So it's going to be Democrats and independents that will be able to vote in this California primary. And Eric, as you look at California and you look at the numbers and we look at the, the richness of these 416 delegates, what do we, what is California looking like? Well, it's, it's, it's looking like Sanders is certainly in the lead percentage wise and in terms of the, the outcome of the primary, uh, where, where the strength I think in that is, and we've talked about this in terms of, of voter alignment behind specific candidates based on platforms and ideology uh, is that that Warren has been trending up there as well and so that that shows a a strong uh, really I think alliance there that may come out and and help Sanders if Warren who's not polling well in many other states uh, if if she decides at some point to drop out of the race uh, so but Sanders has a, a definitely a clear lead you're talking about very populous areas you're talking about uh, association with um, a state that has very a higher level of government engagement with certain public services uh, so I, I think that's resonating there I think that's what we're seeing in the polling at this point uh, where everybody else is kind of grouped further back in a pack and and not necessarily going to benefit as much. I mean, Sanders really wants to get and, and really needs, if we're looking at this in terms of a brokered convention or, or, or even the chance of preventing that, he needs to get as big of a, a, a swath of those delegates as possible in California. Yeah, he needs as much as he can get. I think it's clear he's going to come out on top in California. Um, I was uh, raised in San Francisco. I know the parts of the country who are that far left. Yeah, Bernie's going to do very well here. Um, and it's very interesting to see Elizabeth Warren polling around 17% lately in California. That's big. This is the mm-hmm. biggest state. And so right. her campaign once led nationally came down. She had a good debate performance, the two back. Um, but if she can break the 15% threshold in California, she's not going to break 15% in a lot of states. But if it's California, that's a lot of delegates. That's going to give her mm-hmm. something to work with, whether it's you know mo- momentum or not, or just delegates to go to the convention where there's a vote. Also, I think Bloomberg has a shot at this 15% threshold because California, its vast population means ad buys are key. You're not going mm-hmm. to go diner right. to diner in California. You're going to run ads, and, and Bloomberg is the best position to run major ads throughout California. And also, like I said, it's a mixed system, so independents can show up and vote. Bloomberg might do very well in California with the independents. So we're looking at Sanders having a, a, a great night in California. You're right. He wants to be as great as possible because mm-hmm. it's a he delegates. The delegate count's going to matter going into that convention. Right. Looking at Warren to maybe have 
This is an important state for her. She's got to break 15% there. And Bloomberg, can he break 15% there? Those are what I'm looking at in California. Right. If you look at it on the other side of, of moving forward and talking about the fundraising aspects of it, so Sanders, fine. He doesn't have anything to worry about. He's generating the resources yeah, he needs. Big money. Uh, Bloomberg is, is financing his own campaign. Yep. Uh, Biden is not. And so a win here going into Super Tuesday in South Carolina is critical uh, to keep that moving forward. Uh, for uh, Warren, uh, she has had uh, the reason why her campaign and Klobuchar and, and Buttigieg, uh, their money has been coming. They've been using online platforms. They, they've been regenerating. They have these programs where people can put in a donation and say, I want this to repeat uh, multiple times over you know a period of weeks or, or even months. And so this is an opportunity really for her and her campaign are looking at this in terms of a springboard. Can we maintain that fundraising to keep the campaign going, and will California help significantly in in that process? Yeah, it's a big state, and against 15% is a threshold. And Warren, that's big. Bloomberg, that's big. And a lot of delegates coming out of there. So that's going to be an important state to look at. Uh, second most delegates in this cycle is the great state of Texas. Your state of birth, Eric. Your yes. state of childhood. <laughs> my, my home state that I've learned to love and appreciate so much. We have the great state of Texas second in terms of delegate count at 228. That really shows the importance of California, which is almost double, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they do seem to do the the allotting of delegates based on registered party members. It's not total population. Mm-hmm. So we do see that uh, you can imagine there's vastly more Democrats in California than Texas. But Texas, there are Democrats. I know some of them, Eric. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. we definitely have uh, Democrats here in Texas, 228 pledged delegates up for grabs. When we look at Texas, Eric, what do you see in the numbers and how might Texas play out? So this this is a three-way race. The the, all the the other candidates uh, other than Sanders, Biden and Bloomberg are trending down as we as we move closer to Super Tuesday. And so I see it as as really a three-way race in terms of total delegates because we have to look at this scenario between now and the in the convention that if some of this trends, if Biden stays in, if he gets some wins here and he stays in, uh, we're looking at coalitions here. And so to me, it's the it's the Sanders coalition, and then it's it's a group that would probably m- could move back and forth between Biden and Bloomberg uh, in terms of their support, and and that I think is is some of the things that have to be watched here is look look at what is that total delegate count or percentage of win that goes to a combined Biden and Bloomberg, uh, knowing that that if Biden was to to exit the race. Uh, that that those delegates are, are more than likely. I mean, there there very well could be some, but they're not going to get behind a Sanders. There 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 is a different appeal there. There's a different focus. They're they're more centrist uh, uh, in in a number of ways. And so I, right now, to me, it's a three way race. I think when Texas, we're not going to be looking at Warren Buttigieg, uh, Klobuchar making any any significant progress or or, or getting uh, above a certain level. Uh, to gain a significant number of delegates, it's going to be spread out between Sanders, Bloomberg, and Biden. Well, I definitely agree that Buttigieg is not going to break the 15% threshold here. We talked about that a little bit last week. Klobuchar, uh, she's got some stuff going for her, but it's not polling in Texas. Right. <laughs> so, right. uh, but Warren is polling around 15%, so there's a fourth in the mix. I mean, if she can break 15% in Texas, that's also mm-hmm. going to yield her a chunk of delegates. Uh, why are you... 
Or, or you know, do you have any thought behind that? Why do you why do you leave Warren out of that mix when she's close to that? Well, I think threshold. we have to weigh in the the wins that will uh, South Carolina for sure, uh, but I think we also have to remember there that that. Uh, this moves across the the country. I mean, we can think about it in terms of election day too. And I think some of those early reports are going to uh, are going to impact the outcome in California. Uh, I think that that Sanders going into this is is much stronger. And I think if if people are attuned to the the polling and where they are, that uh, seeing Warren as a likely uh, candidate and her being able to win the nomination right. is is not possible. Uh, so. I I think that's what we have to watch and see, and I, I don't I really don't think I don't make predictions as you said every every well, now and then I agree with sometimes, but but I but I just don't think I think this is going to roll as we see it watching we'll yeah. be following it during the day, but I think it's going to be uh, very difficult for her to reach that threshold, uh, knowing uh, what happens before the polls close in Texas and what happens. Uh, following as we move toward California. I think that's going to be your best chance, but we'll see. Yeah, and it's not all polls. It's about what's going to happen between these polls and actual the right. election date. And that's where Bloomberg, we know he's going to keep hitting with this yes. ad campaign. Sanders has money too. But yeah, Biden and Warren don't have those amounts of funds. So I do think uh, Bloomberg will be well above 15% in Texas. Mm, yes. I think he's going to compete more than people think. I think Bloomberg's going to have a good showing in Texas on uh, Super Tuesday. Yes, yes, I, I agree. And I think, though, as, as we're seeing the polls, and this is, again, watching this between now and Tuesday, is that Biden seems to have picked up, so he's picking up a, a little bit of support. Uh, South Carolina may help that. And what will be the gap between Biden and Bloomberg? I think that's critical, too, to looking at this going forward. Are we going to be talking about a Sanders-Biden, uh, or are we going to talk about Sanders, Biden, and Bloomberg coming out of Super Tuesday. I think the irony here is that if Biden, and I'm not never been big on his campaign, mm-hmm. but if he's able to survive and and carry on and start to hit 15 percent in states and rack up some delegates um, or just keep some some voter support out there, it's actually not bad for Sanders. I mean, mm-hmm. Biden continues to be part. Another option that splits the alternative right. to Sanders and and keeps the party from rallying around someone else uh, that Biden, Bloomberg, Buttigieg, Warren, Klobuchar split that's taking place. And so it's interesting. I'm not so sure that the end result of Biden sticking around longer is going to be Biden as the nominee. It's just one more thing mm-hmm. that fractionalizes the more moderate establishment wing of the party. Well, and I think it, we're already uh, hearing the rumblings of a contentious convention Yeah. <laughs> uh, in that uh, you have all these uh, stories coming about. Oh, we asked 93 superdelegates and they said that uh, they're concerned about Sanders getting the nomination. I, I, I think we're, we're, it, all of the factors are setting up here well in advance uh, to make this very, very contentious. And I think the strategy for Sanders and his campaign, I mean, I think they're looking at that to say, OK, how, how are we going to, to to lock this up? I mean, how, how are we going to be able to, within the rules, within the, the, the structure of the convention, uh, within the, the, the outcomes? I mean, is and we don't know, is this a Sanders-Bloomberg? Is it a Sanders-Biden-Bloomberg? Uh, what? How is this going to uh, look uh, in a in a couple of months from now when we know no one's going to get over the threshold yeah. of you know nineteen hundred plus delegates uh, that are needed to lock up the nomination and and so it seems like 
that the 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 talk, uh, at least out there in the things that I've been watching and looking at, is really uh, and and I think this works to the Republicans' favor as well in terms of this next election. That this this becomes a very very contentious contentious process yeah. between in the Democratic primary leading into the convention. Oh yeah, I'm sure we'll have some shows on the convention. It seems like um, the the Sanders team has to desperately want Elizabeth Warren to drop out because not all her support will go to Sanders, but quite a decent chunk of it. Right. And he's trying not to get a plurality of delegates, in which case he could be stifled at the convention because you need a majority. He needs a majority. And, and if he can pick up some Warren support, really put him over the top in some states, pick up more delegates, he would really want that. And it's interesting to see Warren stick around. She's not doing that. She's having her some good debate performance she's always very well prepared she's a professor and you know um you know not not to you know boast about professors some are more prepared yeah. than others eric right you're, you're raising the the standards of this show and and our the expectation our listeners are going to have that that we're fully and adequately prepared every time we uh, come to the microphone so, we do the best uh, we be can we do the best we can so the the third most delegates pledged delegates coming out of super tuesday is the great state of north carolina uh, 110 and when we pull up those polls Eric it looks like it's the same three that you highlighted in Texas as being in the mix uh, Bernie Sanders Joe Biden and Michael Bloomberg but it's different order Biden seems to be polling near the top so actually there's quite a few um, quote-unquote southern states on Super Tuesday with um, large African-American population they say Joe Biden does very well amongst the African-American demographic, and they, they say that has something to do with him being on the Obama team and the, the Obama-Biden ticket. And so we're going to have a few states like this where there's a very large African-American population, and maybe Biden has a shot not just to hit 15 percent but win it. What do you think? I think that's a very good analysis. Uh, the, I listened to some interviews leading into South Carolina uh, among African-American leaders in, in South Carolina. And I think that that sentiment that they're expressing, that that level of loyalty. So if you if you're if you can remember back to 2008, uh, 2012, uh, the percentages of the vote that uh, Barack Obama drew from the African-American community. I mean, it just was oh, yeah. historic in terms of the of the percentage of vote. Uh, that was uh, added to what you know he received in other demographic groups, and and so not to say that that Biden is in any way going to reach those numbers because there there is some African American support for Donald Trump, uh, there is for some of the other candidates as well. It's Steyer growing. has it's been, uh, yeah, <laughs> and Steyer's focused, yeah, uh, yeah, he's been focused on yeah. that in South Carolina, right. uh, but I, I think we're we're starting to see the impact of that because just as he is in South Carolina. North Carolina now he's trending up and 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 is gaining the lead there. Uh, we don't know what the outcome, the impact of that's going to be in the South, where uh, this is I think one of the things that I'm I'm wondering at times Bloomberg's candidate campaign what how they envisioned approaching this because if you look back historically on elections and you look at the 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 challenges in the South uh, candidates. Uh, uh, some candidates, but not all. We've had exceptions. But candidates running uh, from uh, uh, northern states uh, sometimes struggle 
uh, unless they can make that connection in some way based on their career or their political uh, efforts and endeavors uh, with uh, African-Americans and Latinos. Uh, We saw this with George Bush and and the impact that it had on his campaign. Uh, Of course, you can factor in other groups as well. But when you look at this one demographic, I think that that when African-Americans, and this is the sentiment that I heard in some of these interviews, that they're looking at someone that they think, whether you fully like him or not, whether you can listen to him sometimes drone on about policy because of his years and years of experience in the Senate and in the well, White it's, House. It's, it's half policy and it's half his <laughs> telling people what he's accomplished. Right, I'm the right, one. I'm right, the one. I'm right. the one. It's but kinda... but but that that's a safer choice yeah. than uh, than a Michael Bloomberg who is getting significant attention on the oh. the stop and frisk or sure. I think the other thing I don't think the stop and frisk is as much as an issue in in, in many parts of the south as it is uh just where he's from and the and the disconnect there whereas Biden uh, even though, you know, from Scranton, uh, uh, he does have a story there, but it, that Bloomberg has a similar story as well as coming from where he did. But, but there's a connection there because of Biden's service and because of of his association with Barack Obama. And, and the more he continues to hammer on that and to keep that in the front, I think that's helping him get a little bit of ground, a little traction here. Yeah, and we you're right. Uh, Biden's polling well uh, with African-Americans in this primary. Sanders polls really well with young people. Mm-hmm. And so we got to understand some of these demographic groups that we create overlap. So you have young African-Americans. Well, that's we just said young with Sanders and African-American lean towards Biden. And what's interesting here when I look at the numbers, so this is not a state Sanders is likely to win but he's still above 15% threshold. Like uh-huh. He's still going to get delegates, it looks like, out of every single state on Super Tuesday. Right. I mean, he's the one that is really racking these up. And Bloomberg, above 15% as well, that 46-state strategy. So it really shows to me, like, Sanders seems to always be in the mix here, um, and Bloomberg is really hitting this threshold 46 statewide Mm -hmm. and Biden happens to do well in North Carolina because of the demographics and not in other states and right Um, but both Sanders and Bloomberg are still breaking that threshold very good for both of them right and the the challenge with this I think is is again if we see a three-way race formulating here for the nomination uh, you don't you don't see any I don't see between Biden and Bloomberg either one of them letting go of it if if they're in the hunt for the nomination there's not one that's going to back away from this and say okay I'm going to for the sake of the party the nation or so on I'm going to I'm going to let you have it I'm going to concede yeah. uh, even though we're only separated by you know maybe 3 or 400 delegates but knowing that the total delegates there would would supersede what Sanders has, I, I, I don't see that happening. And that's why I'm, I'm saying now this is starting to look like a three-way race uh, through Super Tuesday and beyond. And a lot of that will depend on how well Biden does across all of those states on well, Tuesday. Some of this brokered convention theorizing, you look at the, you know making a deal, forming a ticket maybe out of the deal. And when I look at um, these three, Sanders, Biden, Bloomberg, I don't see any of these three wanting the VP slot, right? right. I mean, Sanders, 78 years old. Uh, Bloomberg, 78 years old. Biden's young, in his 70s, already been a vice president. That's not very attractive to him. Right. These are all three that don't want the VP slot, maybe, mm-hmm. and, and aren't going to be attracted by that deal. 
Um, and so that makes it even tougher for these three to somehow come together and form a ticket. Right. Uh, and and uh, then we've got also new polling data, data out in the last few days that is looking at this in swing states and who has the potential to face off with Trump uh, and, and who keeps popping in there in those numbers that shows a, a, a better percentage uh, to be able to, to face Trump and possibly win those critical states. And it continues to be Joe Biden. And I think that that adds a little more to this as well, because then you're then you're going into a convention where you're trying to say, okay, it's not about how we resolve this issue of who has the most delegates. Uh, There has to be this thought about, well, how can we win the White House and and who's going to be able to do that? Those are those are numbers I think will be interesting to watch post Super Tuesday. Where do those numbers go as well? Who polls better in those swing states of those three? Yeah, some people think Biden's a better matchup. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think that's Biden for the loss. Well, well four more years. But you know, I could be wrong. I'm well, just. I but don't I think, it's I, think good I think you have a point there because we we look at it and it's 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 almost uh, it, it's it's almost Hillary Clinton all over again. I mean, Clinton yeah. had other issues and challenges that mm-hmm. that impacted, but but I think you're. You're, you're, you're trading one for the other, and in that, that dynamic with Donald Trump, it, it ends up being the same result, uh, in that uh, Trump does what he does, Biden talks policy, he talks experience, he talks in, 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 and certainly attacks Trump in, in different ways, but, but to me it's like it's the same song, second verse, yeah. and whether it achieves that connection or not i i just don't know because I, I think i think that's where biden struggles he he, sure. he struggles when he's in that kind of forum in that environment and being able to clearly communicate in an effective way that that connects with people yeah and a lot of the the things that bloomberg's having trouble with in the primary are not things he'll have great trouble with in a matchup against trump oh you don't like billionaires right. <laughs> you don't like new york city <laughs> i mean it's a, you know it's just like some of those are negated by the matchup that right. takes place. Bloomberg is, for me, a more credible matchup in terms of having an odds to actually beat President Trump. Right. I don't make him a favorite, but I give him a legit shot. If that's an interesting matchup for me, the battle of the billionaires. You know, when we look at North Carolina, excuse me, North Carolina, we go to the fourth state. That's going to be Virginia, and Virginia has 99 delegates. It looks similar to North Carolina. Of course, these are neighboring states. We see um, Biden with a small lead here a recent poll on the february 28th 22 uh, percent for biden 17 for sanders bloomberg under 13 but i still think bloomberg's numbers are going to continue to go up everywhere the, these massive ad buys so it's the same three mix in virginia as in north carolina similar dynamics eric yes yes i think so uh, again the three-way race it, it, it's really uh, will super tuesday put the stamp on that to say this is this is the people that we'll be looking at going forward into these other primaries now we get to an interesting state. So actually, the uh, fifth largest state in terms of delegates is going to be Massachusetts. And very interesting because we have a candidate from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. And so as we bring up these numbers, um, what's interesting is she's doing well. It's her home state. They know her well. Uh, she's above 15 percent. She's likely to get some delegates out there. But number one in the polls in Massachusetts, Eric, is not Elizabeth Warren. It's right. Bernie Sanders outperforming her in her own state. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think it's just the strength of his uh, campaign, the strength of his connection with the, the New England area, uh, the youth, the, the younger uh, uh 
demographic uh, going for him. Uh, I think all of those things, and, and really having lived in Massachusetts, and, and it's an interesting mix of politics in that state where uh, you have a state that can be primarily uh, controlled by Democrats, but then elect Republican governors. Yeah. Uh, it, it, Mitt Romney, of right. course, and, and there's been several others as well. But uh, the the they, they, they elected Senator Scott Brown a while ago too. They, there can be a little unpredictable. It, right, out there. It, it is, and 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 so one of the things that is is interesting to look at in this dynamic is I think the the energy that Sanders brings over war, and that that seems to be uh, attractive in a way. Uh, they have similar policies that would appeal to people of Massachusetts because, remember, uh, this is where uh, uh, it had become one of the models early on for the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, and looking at how Massachusetts handles its health care and provides insurance uh, to, to most of the population of the state. Uh, so I don't know that this is very much policy-driven. I think it's more of looking at candidates that, uh, that, that the level of energy is there and – Remember, uh, Massachusetts, which is very different from Texas in this way, uh, views um, uh, political engagement uh, much more as 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 a service. You know, where we in, in Texas and in many places across the South, the political culture is one of that politics is kind of a necessary evil. If you get into politics, even if you're you have the best intentions, you're going to get soiled in some way. You know, you're going to you're going to have to come in contact with things and do things that. <laughs> but whereas as, as you look at it, uh, that that moralistic uh, view of politics is still very strong in Massachusetts culture. And I think that that kind of message for Sanders, he, he really connects with that because he does bring uh, with his policy, he does bring a message of saying, you know, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we uh, putting uh, government at the at, uh, at, to service in this way uh, to benefit people who are in need or people who need access uh, to particular services? That, that rings very well in Massachusetts politics. So what do you think of uh, Pete Buttigieg in this state? Because he's as we go through these states, he doesn't register in many. And it's a very impressive campaign to do so well in Iowa and New Hampshire. He seems to be borderline here in Massachusetts, pulling around 14%, some up to 15%. That's a threshold he'd like. But he spent so much time on Iowa and New Hampshire, and that's where Massachusetts is a neighboring state of New Hampshire, shares right. some media markets. He may have greater exposure in Massachusetts and other states. It just happens to be very left, good for Sanders, Warren's home state, good for Warren. But he may be able to get some delegates right. out of here. Well, and I think his messaging is along this line. We talked about this in a, in a previous show where uh, Buttigieg is the one that, that, while he doesn't have the experience, he's got a vision. And he's trying to communicate in those kinds of terms. Now, that's digressed a little bit, I would say, in these last several debates where he's been on the attack and trying to keep keep himself visible and, and, and out there. Uh, but but he has a has a message that, again, I think appeals to this kind of moralistic uh, political culture where people see uh, that 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 government uh, can be beneficial and it can provide. Uh, help and assistance where it's needed, but but it's of course with him it's much more measured. He's much more uh, uh, in the middle in terms of looking at some of these issues, the you know healthcare and uh, and others in terms of, of financial challenges and moderating kind of the systems that we have in place without government completely taking over in health insurance or college education or so on. But but I think that that messaging has has that appeal. And that's that's probably what's helping him in in that state, just like it did uh, in New Hampshire. 
Yeah, and Bloomberg's close. I mean, he may get 15% there as well. So the next state we look at is Minnesota with 75 delegates. This also has an interesting dynamic like Massachusetts in that we have a candidate from that state. Mm -hmm. This is Amy Klobuchar's state. She's won statewide in Minnesota several times. And it looks like this may be the state, her own state, where she's able to get some delegates to go to that convention, Eric. We see uh, Amy Klobuchar leading in some of these polls around 29%. Um, that's kind of what her campaign has come to here, Eric, I think, is not get a majority of delegates or anything like that, but uh, get some and go to the convention with some and something good might happen for her. And certainly getting some delegates 40-something out of Minnesota would be very good for her. Right, and it would also uh, give her recognition, status, uh, going into the convention, even if she drops out of the race, uh, that she she has some delegates in there and that could lead, like we've talked about before, to other other possibilities. Could she be that Midwest vice presidential uh, uh, candidate, person on the ticket, that brings some balance to that if we were to see... uh, uh, whether it's Sanders, uh, again, a challenge there. I mean, I think that presents a, other complications in terms of who you have on the ticket with him, whereas she she fits much better with a Biden or a Bloomberg. Yeah, and, and we see Sanders once again breaking 15%. He's going to get delegates out of every state, every state, not just the ones that he's first place, every single state. And it might be just Klobuchar and Sanders getting delegates out of Minnesota, um, something that will Klobuchar will be proud of. I remember in 2016, John Kasich, governor of Ohio, he won Ohio. And he, he went pretty far with the one state. So Amy Klobuchar, just the dynamics of this broken field and the uncertainty about it, it's going to be good for her to win this state. Well, remember, too, as we look toward the convention, and we'll get into a little more detail as we get closer to that as to how that ap- actually operates. But remember these candidates that, that win, uh, that drop out of the race, uh, you know, they go into the convention with those votes. Uh, on that first ballot. And so, but there are some, and this is where we will, we need to do more, I think, education of our listeners. You know, there's a lot of dynamics yeah. that go into that. And, and each state has slight subtle differences yeah, in the, the rules. rules. Some of them can and, be released. Right. Yeah. And so I think one of the things that we're going to see as we move forward with this, that focus will begin to be put on the, that state process to say, okay, what what could be done in the first round that might influence the outcome and where would these uh, votes go and align? Because you have some states where uh, they go through and you know, you, you've seen it before when there's been a clear front runner and they, instead of having the votes along uh, the original uh, order that they were in based on the, the primary outcome, they switch all the votes to one candidate. Yeah. And so one of the things that's going to be important for us and for our listeners, and we're going to be tracking that to see uh, what are some of the possible outcomes here that could be unique and unusual, uh, given the fact that we may not have a, uh, uh, someone that has uh, the full a vote going into the convention. Yeah, with all the different things people assume. People assume these are right. fully bound. There's little tricks and, and the, the variation in rules yes. from the different states. Um, so we go mile high here, Eric. We're looking at the great state of Colorado, 67 delegates to this convention, pledged delegates to the convention. Looks like this is Bernie country. And it looks like some other um, candidates competing here seem to be Warren Buttigieg, Bloomberg, but once again, another state, Bernie's going to rack up some delegates, mile high. I guess Denver's gone pretty left lately, and, and the state used to be a very much a swing state. It's been trending Democrat 
Uh, looks like a good state for Bernie Sanders. It does. It looks like another another one that's just going to add to uh, that total vote count for him. Uh, and again, looking at what what percentage of that goes, the re- remaining vote uh, lines up with vote votes that may either align with him eventually or with a Biden or a Bloomberg. So the next state we get into is going to be quick and easy, Eric. It's going to be Tennessee with 64 delegates. And the thing is, we have absolutely no polls out of Tennessee, no data to play with. Um, This might be a good Biden state, southern, a large African-American population, but we don't have any polls. Um, what, what should we think about one of these? It's kind of fun, you know. It's like right, you don't yeah, know, yeah. you don't know what the child, the gender of your child when it's your birth time. I mean, we don't know. Tennessee is going to be fun to think about. Any right, thoughts? Right. Well, it could be one of those states that plays a little bit in swinging and uh, one way or the other in helping a candidate. I, I really think this state that, at this point, even without polls, that given the demographics, looking at. Uh, states close by, uh, like South Carolina and North Carolina, uh, that Biden uh, probably has the edge in Tennessee at the moment. But uh, we will we'll see as as we go into Super Tuesday uh, if that is the case or not. Yeah, and there's going to be some other states like that. So the next one on our list besides Tennessee is going to be number nine, Alabama, another southern state. And when we go into Alabama with 52 pledged delegates, we also don't see uh, many good polls. The last one was from almost a year ago, so I would say we don't really have good poll uh, numbers. Certainly a high um, African-American population, but Mike Bloomberg's been breaking records and ad buys there. Another state that's going to be, uh, we don't have good data, but it looks like Biden might break the threshold. We're right, not sure right. about others. Again, I think think we've got to watch that African-American vote and turn out uh, to see what the uh, what the numbers hold already, and this this just goes uh, for for South Carolina. But I think one of the things will be interesting to see that turnout. South Carolina has already surpassed their in in early voting. They they've surpassed this week their uh, 2016. Uh, early voter turnout. And so they're expecting, uh, I think, all across these states, Alabama and, and some of the others, that uh, that early voting turnout shows that it will be heavy turnout. And if that's the case, I think that really gives the advantage to Biden, especially if there's a large turnout among African-Americans. But we, we shall see. And and this poses challenges, too. I think it poses challenges for Sanders and, and post-Super Tuesday, analyzing what his possibilities are for getting support in the South. Uh, if that's virtually non-existent, I think it caused people in the in the Democratic Party leadership to kind of start to really look at this and say, OK, what does this mean in a national election? Uh, and then also Bloomberg as well. We've got to see how does this play out for him uh, with his his uh, approach and his strategy uh, if there are some of these southern states that he's not able to pull uh, a significant uh, percentage yeah, and it's interesting. Some of these states that are very strong Trump states come to general election. We don't worry about it, but they're involved in the Democratic process. So in general election, you know, Alabama's a Trump state. But the fact that someone's not resonating in the South is a concern for North Carolina, Virginia, right. border states, swing states that might happen. Right. Um, Oklahoma, I had mentioned uh, in a previous show, Warren was raised in Oklahoma. She's not doing too well. This looks like uh, Bloomberg might do very well. He's leading in polls already in Oklahoma. Sanders, once again, above 15% threshold everywhere. Uh, looks like uh, out of the 37 delegates, Bloomberg might do well in Oklahoma, Eric. He may, and this gets back to that race uh, and looking at political culture and talking about economic conservatism and that you have populations within these states, and this is Texas as well, uh, where the uh, there's still a very strong 
uh, affinity with economic conservatism. And so uh, the, the, the method, the approach, uh, the campaign of Sanders uh, does create some challenges, I think, in that regard, where you've got people who are concerned about bigger government, uh, more government spending, and what the impact of that will be. All right, real quick, Arkansas, we got a Bloomberg-Biden-Buttigieg-Sanders four-way race. Uh, it's not clear who's going to win Arkansas, but it right. looks like a competitive southern state there. Number 12, Utah. We usually don't think of Democrats in Utah, but they do exist. Um, we see, uh, how do we see? Sanders, seems like Democrats in Utah, like Sanders, something uh, Bloomberg and Buttigieg are competing there. Um, then we have the great state of Maine. We're really going to the Northeast here. In Maine, it looks like we have Sanders and Buttigieg breaking that threshold. Bloomberg competing everywhere for that uh, 15% threshold mark. And then we have Bernie's own state of Vermont, the smallest state in terms of delegates. But we can imagine Bernie's going to do very well, uh, maybe even mm -hmm. get over 50 percent of the vote right. in Vermont. So, Eric, when we look at all these states together, what I really noticed as I tried to look at potential um, how people are going to do is the key for these populated states for Warren. I mean, if she's able to break 15 percent in California, Texas, she could come in second place on Super Tuesday, which is which not something we're assuming. Right. Um, and then someone like Buttigieg, who has really been making waves, we're just not seeing him break 15% in many places. He might be one of the casualties of Super Tuesday. Right. I think, I think that's the case. I think we're going to be seeing the impact of this on Buttigieg, uh, Klobuchar, uh, Steyer. I mean, he's not even showing on the graphs on many of these states on Super Tuesday. And he's focused on South he's Carolina. He's been focused yeah, on yeah. South Carolina. And, and whether that gives him a boost if he's, if he's able to gain more uh, attention there. But, uh, but yes, and it could be coming out of this. I mean, we, we've been talking about a three-way race when we look at this across the country post-Super Tuesday. But it could be a four in that Warren does gain something and is able to, to stay in it. What that does is it, it really, when you look on the, on the spectrum here of where these candidates are, it, it's really, you're looking at a, a two-way race uh, in terms of alignment. And, and I think that's where we, we need to see what, who, who is that going to benefit, who is it going to hurt uh, in terms of trying to gain more, candid, more uh, support and delegates as they move through the additional primaries. And where is Warren aligned? I don't know. She's right, the right. mix. Yeah, she's the yeah. mix. And, yeah. yeah, so I just don't think it's going to be a great day for Buttigieg. He's going to have to reassess his campaign. And amazing that he was able to do well at Iowa and New Hampshire. But now it's going 46 very quickly, and he doesn't really have the resume or funds to really make the impact. Uh, we'll be right back with more Cogley and Morrow on politics following the break. T for Texas is a Texas-based history podcast from historian Dr. T. Lindsay Baker. Find a new episode every Thursday morning wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for a fun, casual podcast? Well, listen to Cruising the Planet. Conversations between a rotating crew of broke college students just trying to get through the semester. Listen in live every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Central on the Tarleton Radio YouTube channel. Or listen to the episode afterwards wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Cruising the Planet. 
Charlton Radio Network is proud to announce our new show, Planetary Overload. You are about to overload. Join co-hosts AJ Heyer and Colleen Hughes as they explore a new hobby every week. Subscribe to the feed wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the debut episode for an interview with award-winning game designer Steve Jackson in their exploration of tabletop RPGs. Subscribe to the feed wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the debut episode. Politics can be confusing, but Cogliamaro have your back. Follow them on Facebook. Search Cogliamaro on politics to stay up to date with the show and for all of the sources to follow right along. Cogliamaro is a production of the Tarleton Radio Network. Welcome back to Cogley and Morrow on politics. Well, we want to wrap up the show today with something that's really been gaining the news, even more so than the Democratic primary. Uh, it's it's giving, getting a lot of attention around the globe, and that is the spread of coronavirus or COVID-19, as it's being referred to. And what we're seeing are some significant challenges that are happening with that as we stay focused on this show on politics. Uh, viruses like this, something that spreads to a pandemic level is in which we're, what we're seeing, uh, there are politics that play into that. And some of those pol- politics can be uh, uh, the uh, how it appears that l- leaders, heads of state are engaging uh, with the issue and its impact and its awareness and how information is getting out from government agencies. I mean, there's so many different dynamics. So one of those that, that I see is quite significant that I just want to put on the timeline here now for people to be watching as this thing develops, and, th- and that is the economic impact. And so there's already been a significant economic impact as we've seen the, the, the Dow Jones Industrials, which are futures. Everybody has to remember we're not talking about current uh, uh, economic status. We're talking about future economic status and how investors are, are viewing that. And so that has already dropped uh, to below uh, the level that it started the year. And the prediction is that if this continues, that it's a break-even year or possibly ending the year uh, in the red uh, in terms of the stock market. And that's reflecting global trends and what's happening uh, around the globe in these futures markets. Uh, But on the other hand, too, and we bring this back home to Texas, and this was a concern of mine uh, that that I always look ahead when we're going into a state budget cycle. Uh, this is starting to have an impact on energy, and it's starting to have an impact on oil. And if you remember, as a country, we've in, in the last decade or so have become energy uh, independent in that the, the amount of oil that we're importing for our energy needs is is very low. And so most of it is in terms of our exports. And so when we're exporting, we're participating in a global market, and that market is beginning to be hit because manufacturing is dropping uh, trade is affected by this, especially because China is so hard hit. Uh, transportation. And so here here I am. I was uh, possibly not going to be here for the show next week right. uh, on a trip to Prague uh, to work on a finalizing a public admin graduate program we're going to offer over there. Uh, we looked at our connecting flights, and we were a little skeptical of saying, well, it would not be a good thing to get stranded somewhere for a couple of weeks because – if people show symptoms, uh, people get quarantined. This is the pattern we're seeing around the around the globe. And so it is having an impact. And my uh, concern, and I'm just voicing this now in terms of not just the politics and, and how the president's addressing it or what the federal government, that's something we may get into as this thing develops. Uh, but here at home, it's looking at, okay, where are we going with this in terms of its impact on our state economy? Uh, our, uh, as oil prices begin to drop, uh, that does have an impact on state revenues because 
uh, of uh, uh, excise taxes that we gain off of that. Uh, it's a much more direct influence than, say, a national recession that often takes time uh, to impact Texas, uh, where it's ours is, is much more based on spending. People slow down their spending because they're concerned about their jobs. Well, that takes a little bit more time in, uh, to to uh, to happen here. But when you start seeing uh, this impact on the energy markets, uh, I think that raises a little bit of concern. And I think that's where people need to be looking and watching this is not just the public health. This is certainly a concern for public health and listening and watching and engaging. Uh, but it also uh, is looking ahead as to what will be not just economic impact, but then how do uh, our politicians, how do our leaders in government uh, respond to that? Yeah, and it's interesting to see the economic impact. You know, um, I don't think stock market values are too important, but uh, certainly politicians do, voters do. Trump is, every time we're record high, he likes to remind us of the fact. Uh, and so the effect on the market is interesting. Also, we're, USA is not in a crisis mode. There's uh, been some limited cases that have been handled, but um, people are kind of just getting ready on a wait-and-see approach. I know, Eric, maybe a lot of the uh, study abroad programs here at Tarleton have already been asked to revise scheduling and other things like that. It's starting to really impact foreign travel. One thing that was interesting as I looked into this, uh, President Trump had come out early on, um, January 31st, and said we're going to deny entry to foreign nationals traveling from China to the U.S., also quarantine U.S. citizens returning from that area of China, kind of a, a strong thing. But now he's being criticized for not being strong enough or too late. He he put Mike Pence in charge of coordinating this task force, he's being criticized for that. It seems to be getting a little bit partisan and political when we would hope it wouldn't be. Right. And I think that's something to watch. I, I, I saw part of this, too, and what brought that to mind was the uh, the professor out at uh, American University, Alan Lichtman, remember, who's predicted the last nine presidential elections and has, has been right. Okay. He was one of the only ones, like Nathaniel Cogley, <laughs> uh, that was right about a Trump win. And that was he predicted that this will, if this continues, it will, it will certainly have a significant impact and could affect the outcome of the presidential election. And I think that's where we, we need to look at this and kind of understand it and, and in politics as well. We want to thank you for joining us today on Cogley and Morrow. Look us up on Facebook where you get your podcast, and please plan to join us for our episode right here every week at noon on KTRL FM 90.5. This has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from A.J. Heyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.